This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Hey guys, checking in from uh, uh, Mountain Village in Telluride, Colorado, which is so special and mystical, which could also describe my relationship, my relationship with the man sitting beside me, known as Raj Lahodi. Oh, and how Raj and I know each other, wow, it is. Firstly, I'd say go back and listen to the Captain Anonymous Captain Obvious session where I'm facilitating a, what I call a Captain Obvious session to our mutual friend. And I got to a point where I realized what's most personal is most universal, and his big hang-up was a financial fear. And um, Raj came into my life around a time when I was probably facing the most financial fears, and then became the catalyst for like the fruits of my faith. So I can say that for one thing. That was where our initial connection was really cultivated. We had teasers before that. But let's talk about right now for a moment first. <laughs> um, where, how did you get here, Raj? And what is your experience of being here? Like, why are you here? What are you doing here? And what are you experiencing slash feeling here? With me and you now have lived in the same chalet with my family, Deanna and Davina, and our mutual friend and my business partner, Lauren Kaliski, the queen of operations at uh, Tribe Design. And you've been at a Tribe Design and actually created life there. Um, Conceived life. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Wow. My son, Akasha. Man. So there's obviously so much to talk about. And this has been a long time coming, I'd say. And I'm extremely excited for this uh, exploration with you. So before we go down the mini rabbit trails available, why don't we start with now and hear from you about now? Mm, that's so funny because I remember when we first really dropped in and met a couple years back, I think uh, maybe almost three years. Uh, two and a half years ago, and um, we were getting into a conversation with um, Jacqueline and Frank J. and and um, I remember Jacqueline was going into a story, and then she just you know she got into her head a little bit, which naturally happens when we're in, can happen in new environments, new people, and I love how at that time you um, you just kind of paused and uh, and said, you know let's talk about what's happening right now. And um, <clears throat> I really, it's moments like that, that really um, I can reflect on. I haven't reflected on it much, but I'm reflecting on it now because you're asking a very similar question. And it's one of the uh, gifts of yours of um, catalyzing relationship whether it's relationship with each other or relationship with the present moment. And so, um, so yeah, as it relates to the question right now, how am I here? Why am I here? Um, well, I guess I'll go back a little bit to 2010 when um, I was going through one of my first major transitions in my company where we were in the middle of a legal situation that um, had a, a, a pretty dark cloud over the company of not knowing, are we going to be in business or not um, with this? And um, so I was going on a bit of a spiritual journey of sorts um, and <clears throat> traveling to South America, going to yoga festivals, going to different, um, exploring my 
gifts of healing and energetic body work and and different types of uh yeah gifts i'll call it that i cultivated that have been shared with me with by others and i was in this phase and i believe it was 2010 when uh, i went to a documentary um in santa monica i was living out there or staying out there for some time and um and the documentary was by um was called i am and it was by tom shadiak who is, for those of you who don't know Tom Shadiak, you definitely know Jim Carrey. Tom Shadiak's the one who discovered Jim Carrey from In Living Color. And so he discovered him, did all these great movies, Dumb and Dumber, Nutty Professor, but a lot of kind of funny movies and things like that that weren't really connected fully to his soul's purpose. And he ended up having a near-death experience, and he put this movie together, I Am, to really talk about the problems in the world and what can we do about it. And so I am was actually uh, almost like the secret of like an expanded awareness of a lot of different topics um, and from, you know, how people can feel you and feel your heart in the room. They can feel your state of emotions from your heartbeat, from the EMF, the electromagnetic field that emits, that emanates from your heart. Literally, people can feel your vibe. So if somebody experiences you and you're like, this person's got good vibes. It's way beyond because they're funny or they have an interesting personality, but that the person can actually feel almost how they're feeling inside. And so that movie was really impactful for me. And at that time I was like, wow, I really want to help Tom Shadyak get his message out there. But I, I saw Tom as this big, important celebrity guy and who, how am I going to get in touch with him kind of thing. But I just said, I'm going to, I'm going to help him one day. And, um, Nine years later, a uh, couple weeks ago, you uh, I feel like you texted me something about how you were invited by Tom Shadiak to be here. Uh, he heard you on a podcast, uh, the person he mentors. And at that point, I just heard his name, Tom Shadiak, and you said Mountain Film Festival. And I'm like, you know, I'm in an, another phase of my life where I'm open. I'm, I'm starting my own movement, or at least feeling like I'm a steward of a movement. And going to the Mountain Film Festival will be inspiring to be able to meet Tom Shadiak will be an answer to an intention, a dream of mine. And um, I just, I followed the inspiration and I said, yes, I, to be able to spend time with Daniel for the week, with his family, to be able to be in uh, a mini tribe uh, for the week and experience that. And to learn through osmosis, to learn by being around you and your family and your daughter, Davina. Um, I just felt that, yeah, this is, I'm a yes. And so I followed that, the gut instinct to say yes. And it's been such a beautiful time here. And the fact that I finally said yes to be on this podcast um, is a testament to the space that I'm in over here, which is um, moving past paralysis of perfection and moving into the trust of the gift of the present moment. So here we are. Nice. Thank you. I love doing these podcasts for this reason. I really get to explore like the distilled wisdom of my fans and friends that I'm fans of. 
and this unique creative constraint known as this podcast. Naveen Jain said to call it. He's like, this is, don't be, he's like, don't call it a podcast. This is how I heard it. He's like, that's stupid. Podcast, anyone listens to a podcast, like, this is a wisdom cast or call it a learning cast. He had all kinds of ideas around that. And you and Naveen, not only are y'all both Indian, <laughs> do you know which part of India he's from versus where your family's from? Mm, my guess is Naveen Jain is from Gujarat because I know other people who are, last name Jane from Gujarat, but I'm not positive, which is another part of India than my ancestors, which my ancestors are from, ancestors are from Rajasthan, the state of Rajasthan. Rajasthan. All right. So I used to live in college. I, uh, freshman year, I lived with a, well, sophomore through junior and senior year somewhat, I lived with a lot of Indian guys. And they're like, one's a dermatologist, one's an ophthalmologist, one's a pediatrician, I think. One, And the, they're awesome. They're awesome people. And um, But we definitely had, like, brown town parties. And I remember, like, them even comparing parts of, like, they would make fun of each other. And, like, borderline, maybe it's racist, maybe it's just stereotypical ways of, like, what part of India they're from. <laughs> like, you South Indian, like... What is the what is where you're from? What's the reputation versus where you think Naveen Jain is from? I'm curious. <laughs> if there was like if we're gonna if you're gonna channel the stereotypes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> um so there's a saying um Patel Hotel Motel. Um <laughs> so people with the last name Patel often um are hotel and motel owners. Now that could be a racist thing to say but then again um, you can look at statistically speaking you can just look at um, hotel owners worldwide and you can look at the last names and I believe Patel may might be the most common last name owner of motels so it's it's kind of racist in that all hotels are owning motels that's not true but oftentimes that does go along with business because a lot of times in India these different groups you know, your culture, your state, they, they find like if they go out into the world somewhere else, like, well, who's, how are we going to help each other? So there's some level of a tribe where the, the town or the state of India that you're from. So Patels are typically from the uh, state of Gujarat. And so Patels are like a sect, a t- like a tribe almost within of those people. So they help each other out. They want to see their tribe grow because at the end of the day, that's like, you know, their family can't travel with them all the time, but and maybe, maybe an extended distant cousin kind of thing will be there. So from that sound, and it's funny because every Indian uncle, I mean, Indian parent that's not even related to my mom and dad, we still call them uncle and auntie. And it's almost like you giving them the right to basically parent you because you're calling them uncle or auntie, you know? And so Similar in Hawaii too. Yes. Like people can become aunties and uncles with not much to do with blood related. Abs- absolutely. So I would say business definitely goes along a lot with um, Gujarat. And then my people in Rajasthan, you know, we actually moved to, like my grandparents or great-grandparents moved to South India. So we're a bunch of North Indians actually living in South India. The st- um, Andhra Pradesh or Hyderabad is a city. So we're actually in South India. I can't say, I don't know what are all the people like, but I know a lot of people that are South Indians that are very into education and they're doing technology and all that. Whereas um, my family, they're, they're, we're business people. Like we, 
my my dad's family they've run small grocery stores my parents ran a grocery store when they came to america um my dad's been into real estate my uncles are into you know different types of businesses so um yeah the stereotype definitely for my people are definitely business people they're like oh you must be good in business wish i judge you to be a master in <laughs> yeah i would say uh yeah that's how i describe you like a like a king magician especially around uh, money the idea of money and communicating around it um and yeah wow there's so let's let's with the hesitation of getting on the podcast what's that what, what was that about mm, mm-hmm. um i think the hesitation in getting on the podcast is a combination of one really caring about you and your brand and um, wanting my contribution to be something that only supports your brand, aligns with it and elevates it, and it doesn't hurt it or tarnish it in some way. So uh, there's a little bit of like, oh shit, like this is like my second podcast that I've been on. And, um, And yet I've done a lot of things in business and a lot of accolades and awards, but kind of hid behind a corporate brand and not necessarily a personal brand as much. So um, anyways, so that's kind of, that's one part of the hesitation. I'd say the second part of the hesitation is that there are many aspects to our relationship um, that of how we came together, the kind of, uh, ways that we collaborate, the conversations that we have that I would say um, are breaking normal for sure. They're they're uh, new paradigm. And sometimes I find myself feeling like my new paradigm ideas, I people might not understand them or I would have to explain myself probably because I've tried to explain things to my family or to various friends groups in the past that didn't really get why I did what I did. And so I feel that there's this need to have to explain myself. Um, and sometimes I'm like, oh, I'd rather withhold that. Now, with that said, as I've been getting myself out, I, you know, put my first Instagram post the other day <laughs> and been around um, other creators I've, I've seen that um, this, the aspect of creation, and I'm, I'm sure people who are listening here on this podcast, I'm sure many of you don't have a podcast and have probably said, I wish I could do that one day, or don't have a YouTube channel, or don't, you know, are not active in social media, and they're like, and you're consuming content rather than creating it. And I'll tell you, I was, uh, I've been in that space in, in some ways as it relates to my personal brand, and um, uh, maybe about six eight months ago i hired a videographer josh mcmurtry hey giving him a little shout out <laughs> beautiful brother amazing man um lives in encinitas and um i hired him to help me do some video for a uh, vivid vision for a company i was involved I'm involved in and so um I was scared about the video too. Like, am I going to be able to say it right and all that? And we did two hours of video to produce, you know, several minutes of content. And I was like, oh, the process of creation doesn't have to be that I got to get it right the first time. I can try it out. We can cut it up. We can edit it, but we can also learn from that process. So it does the creating something. It's like creating a baby, creating anything. There's 
blood and umbilical cords and b- backstage things that are behind the scenes of a of a play you know that you don't see what's happening necessarily and so if i'm okay with that that that's part of the process the fear is part of the process the getting it quote unquote wrong if there is such a thing as right and wrong it's all part of the process so um i'm leaning into that fear but that's my my answer <laughs> well you mentioned how we you borderline explored or painted over how we initially came into each other's lives in the breaking normal fashion and as i mentioned earlier i tell the story i tell it's a pretty extended story from my perspective it took me probably about almost five to ten minutes and i tell it on that captain obvious podcast so i want y'all to check that out y'all should check that out and what um for Raj, I would love to know what, from your perspective, because a lot of people may, if they've listened to this one, have already heard it from my perspective. How, what do you mean we came into a breaking normal way? And how does that relate to what you're wanting to bring steward into the world? You mentioned that earlier too, because like, I think they're kind of like a DNA type of, for the, a DNA double helix for the story that's about to unfold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is definitely a moment if I'm going to share what's going on inside of me where I'm like, I'm so glad I did this podcast today. Yes. <laughs> So this is the time. Um, so, all right, let's, let me just take a moment. <laughs> what are you feeling in your body, by the way? This what? is, this is something so people know I definitely, it's definitely a major part of tribe design is to get people out of their heads when they sensationalize life and more to drop in and feel the sensations like from a dog's perspective. So I'm curious, where are you feeling like the most heat or energy in your body currently? I would say in my heart, mm-hmm. um, a bit of my gut, my breath, my heart, yeah, my chest. And we ask that to each other a lot of times of these these type of experiences to remind us to amplify those and to enjoy oh. the sensation. On, my uh, teeth are like um, kind of like like mm, chat, chattering. Yes, or like, yes. <laughs> that's the good stuff. <laughs> like just about to share this because uh, I I I. I don't feel I've given the space or the permission myself to share this. And yet it feels good to give some space to this. So I think I want to start and share that um, one of my, my brothers, uh, soul brothers, so not bl- my not my blood, not my blood, but definitely... Um, by values and vision for the planet, I would say, uh, James Rudina. He, um, at one point, actually, James, I'll say, and then also Luke, um, Luke Williams, Williamson, Luke Williams, something like that, several years ago told me about the Rob Ross. Um, Daniel and his two brothers, Timothy and other brother, Nathaniel, yeah. So um, told me about these guys, and so I would see them, and they had definitely something that I wanted, which was amazing bodies. I was like, okay, they clearly have access to something that I haven't fully given myself the full commitment in the past to do all the way through. So I was like, they have something. They've got some interesting personal brand online, and Luke was talking about them, and um, they had a juice named after them at the juice place nearby. And I'm like, okay, well, who are these guys? You know. And then later on, I heard about um, James telling me that um, he went to a retreat and 
Daniel's retreat or sorts in Hawaii. And he was just saying that if there is somebody that is like the new Tony Robbins, like the Tony Robbins of today, or who's going to take Tony Robbins spot when Tony Robbins is ready to retire, something along those lines. And, you know, um, it's Daniel. That's what he said. And, you know, James doesn't say that kind of stuff about people just flippantly. So I was like, wow, okay. So I already had this view of Daniel, of whether it's a pedestal or looking at him, looking up to him. And um, by the way, just calling out my nervousness in my body right now. So if I'm sounding like a little, it's just, it's all part of the sensations I'm feeling. (laughs) Yeah, I'd say amplify that. And I want to say anyone that's listening to that that can relate to it, including myself, that's how I believe we unlock our inner pharmacy. That those sensations are healing sensations and they are drugs. I love it. Yeah, I'm standing up right now. They are drugs. (laughs) It's like, I've heard this saying, and I think it might be from, I forget the artist's name, but you're not on drugs, you are drugs. (laughs) We're all drugs. (laughs) So enjoy that, man. And I'm, I'm feeling it too. I'm feeling it too and I like it. Yeah. So... I heard about you that way, and then Jacqueline, another person, told me. So it's interesting how, you know, we talk about tribe and what it means, all these interconnection points. A tribe isn't just a bunch of people that are in the same room at the same time. A tribe is connection and conversations and relationships that all alchemize and continue to alchemize in every present moment. The tribe is constantly, you know, shifting. It's like inhale, exhale, but there's no stagnancy. (sighs) So Jacqueline, um, she told me, you know, to meet you. And, you know, I think you were looking for investment in um, getting your book launched. And I was in a place at this time where Um, my company was doing a lot better um, financially and I had a lot of profits that I was getting to me. And while I wanted to invest some of those profits back into my company, I also wanted to invest in other things. And so I was open and curious to new opportunities to invest, but I wanted to invest in things that I felt aligned with a more, an even more beautiful world. And so anyone that was doing work to help others activate them to greater potentials of themselves, I feel that that supports um, an even more beautiful world. So, you know, this book that you were launching, Breaking Normal, looking for support, meeting you, um, I felt like, okay, you know, I sensed your genius, and I also sensed you had a relationship to money that in my body didn't feel so empowering. It didn't feel so great. It felt like there was a little bit of a disconnect of sorts where it's like money was this thing I needed to do in order to do what I really want to do kind of thing. So wasn't in full like harmony. And, um, Anyways, so at that time, I got a little turned off about the idea of of supporting financially, of investing, because I just was like, I don't know, it just didn't feel fully clean, just the energy around it. But 
there was still that feeling about you where I was like, but Daniel still like, he's amazing. And people have experienced so much positive impact from him. So there's something there. There's a gem there. And I have also experienced my relationship with money is ebbs and flows, which I don't want to go down that rabbit hole just this moment yet, but it's ebbed and flowed positive and negative. So I, I have empathy around that. And so anyways, I was going through some very interesting times in my relationship, in with myself, with my family, with my son, and the mother of my son, and it was just a lot of lot of challenges that I was experiencing, and the right place or right time, I walked in to your house, and even though I don't remember exactly play by play, I'll tell you how I remember was. I just felt an energy move through me. I was in your place and I felt like a palpable energy in the room. And I was like, this feels like a portal, like something's about to happen. And I saw that you were, the things that you were saying to me were impacting me positively. It was, I was feeling good in my system. I was feeling better about myself and about what I, about who I felt I could become. And I don't know how you did that, but it was just in the alchemy of our interaction that had me feel that way. And in that point, I was like, wow, I've got financial resources. This person has so many gems that they're offering me and others around. How can I take some of my overflow of abundance and direct it in a way where it will impact me and others that I care about and beyond. But I will say I did still go with, I want it to impact me still. But I didn't want to create a strange contractual obligation with you that would create where you were forced to serve me in some way by me giving you this money, like an investment or a loan where you have to give this back if I do this. I wanted to see at this time, what if I could give you something from inspiration, from me, from my heart, where I just wanted to do that. And what type of inspiration would come out of you to give back to me? But in a way where I wasn't requiring it, I was almost more like, I told you like almost like what my intentions were. You know, I was like, I'm doing this because I'm involved in so many different projects, investments, businesses. And by offering this to you, it will allow you to, in your own way, offer back to me. But again, I didn't want to create such a weird, not weird, but such a black and white structure. Because I wanted to see almost like, are people generous on their own? Can they be generous without a requirement, a legal requirement to do that? Can they be generous out of gratitude? Can they be generous because they actually just care? So I, at that point, you know, I did some crazy, I had a crazy idea and I gave you, I put my credit cards <laughs> in your Uber Eats, your Uber, your DoorDash, your, probably your Apple Pay. I don't even know. And I said, for these needs that you guys have, you're going to have a baby. 
soon and you know midwife whatever and again i have not told many people i did this because i didn't want to get a bunch of people contacting knocking at my door saying i want help too you know because it wasn't about me trying to help everybody it was that i felt that i wanted to help you i believe in you i believed in you at that time i saw you and i was like let's see what happens there's a spark in this guy already there's already a fire shit it's more than a spark let's see what happens if i can pour some gasoline on him and i gotta tell you there's many ways to pour gasoline on a spark or a fire but i gotta tell you in this world fucking you put pour some money on somebody that is a pretty powerful powerful gasoline you get to see the quality of that fire pretty quick when you pour some gasoline of of finances on something you get to really see what people do with that when they've got when they've got that resource coming in it it amplifies something <laughs> yeah that's so but that and that 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 myth is probably so embedded for the many lottery winners and how a lot of them seem to find themselves back where they were before and, and maybe maybe in arguably worse in some cases from the ones I've heard um, but for your results, what have, what have you now that I, I'd love to ask, obviously I'm biased, how have your results been since that following that energy in the room to, yeah, to do what you did? What, what did it seem like? Because you, you said, whoa, well, like when you pour the gasoline and money on a fire, you get really good to see. I'd love to make it personal and find out what yeah. your judgments are of this yeah. fire. Well, it's interesting because I told you that I did it for myself and also for you, you know, but definitely when I was referring to the fire of when you pour um, gasoline on a fire or a spark, well, boy, let's see what happens, you know, watch what happens then. I was actually thinking about you in that time. And I was thinking about you and how, so from the day that I came there and, and I got to tell you, you know, this is, it's, it's, there's a term called causation versus correlation. I can't say that this, what I did caused anything because it's just, is one of the things that I did within the stream of life and timeline of life. But what I definitely did correlated to a lot of things that were really magical. I came there. I think within a couple of months of doing that, your YouTube video, I'm sorry, your Facebook video, Om Daddy, Oming to Davina, or yeah, that, that went viral. You launched, you got your book um, publisher or the uh, ghostwriter, or not ghostwriter, the whatever, you know, person's going to get your book out there. Deborah Brown, right? You got her, you were able to have the finances to do that. You got Breaking Normal out there. The book cover, which is a whole other story of how I got that book to cover designed years before we knew each other, um, coincidentally. But you got that launch, Breaking Normal. The book is practically all five stars, practically on, on Amazon. I mean, it's amazing, that book. Your tribe designs that you've launched. There's so many things that you have done that I think was amplified and supported by a contribution towards you. And to me, the rewards 
that were reaped in your life and the community were massive because I've seen your brand grow, your following, your impact, the Breaking Normal podcast, which is like there's over 40 podcast episodes that are already out there in a high rating. There's so many things that I've seen you do has been amazing. And as far as to make it personal to me, what I have found is that I feel when I'm around your around you and your field, I feel more trust in myself. I feel more confidence in myself. I feel like unleashing myself even more. There's a permission that I believe you offer, not I believe, that you offer to me in your being that has me be more me and also break into, break out of uncomfortable and, and say F that and add the F into uncomfortable and make it fun comfortable. So there are codes that you've told me along the way um, you know, I'll make it public, you know, about my relationship with cannabis. And um, this is a big one. And I didn't mention this when I first came into Daniel's place. And it was a time when I was, when I would smoke cannabis and I would quote unquote, get weird. Things would be weird in my system. And I would go into some weird moments like down energy lowering my lowering my vibration or lowering my, the feeling i was having and i remember telling you daniel something like oh yeah i get really weird when i smoke a lot of weed or you know i do this and then you said to me you go sounds to me like that's a choice and every single time after that point and when i smoked cannabis if i ever thought of myself getting weird I was like, wait a second, Daniel's words in my head. Sounds to me like that's a choice. And I would come back to, shit, I am in choice right now. So <laughs> as far as what I can put the value on the different codes that I've received from you that have helped me to self-manage myself better, to bring my creativity out in the world more, to unleash myself, I don't know if I can put a value on that because I feel it's priceless. But if I could put a value on it of what I've earned from it and what I will earn from it, I would say that I'm reaping far greater rewards from investing with you than I would have if I just told you to pay me back 10, 20% interest on my loan and said goodbye. Wow. This is obviously very affirming for me, so thank you. And not only because of the affirmation, but because it's so true. And I, um, you know, I I deserve this. I deserve this, and I deserve you being in my life, and we deserve this relationship we're having. I, once again, if you want to hear the whole story, check out that Captain Obvious session. I think it's called Money is Funny, um, an anonymous Captain Obvious consultation. But in that story, I go into it. I was, before you came to my doorstep that night, um, I was upstairs, like with who I call Nancy upstairs, who lived with Osho at one point. I learned to li uh, learn later, just like crying at her door, like crying, not like saying for help, but I'm like, do you, do you know where I'm, I'm, I deserve a scholarship or a fund or a grant? Like I deserve this. This is like, I didn't deserve it in college. I haven't know what I was doing in college, but at this point in my life, getting Deanna into the dream spot to live in her third trimester in her pregnancy 
and knowing Davina's on the way and me like never this has never was in my field before I lived, I lived monthly before this so then think about what's the best I ask my heart like what's the best place in the world for me to live it's like oh, Neptune Avenue was the answer and I was in a motel just walking up and down that street for weeks and I found this place and uh, I did some weird things to get the place secured I definitely swooned our landlord in many ways, I swooned her landlord's child who's studying psychology in Chicago with my video messages. And it's not swooning from my heart. I was just telling the true story in a vulnerable way. And um, they let us rent this place, which there was a line of people that <laughs> had a lot better credentials on paper than us. And it was risky for them. And we got it. And then the day rent is due, I didn't know how I was even going to pay for this. Uh, at one point, I was borrowing money from friends to amp up my bank account temporarily so she would say, so she could at least say yes, so she could at least say it, so it wasn't just stupid. And I was like, yeah, I can prove I can get money. And I got that money temporarily. But the day rent was due, I didn't know how I was going to pay it yet. I was on this crazy adventure with JP shooting the How to Be Offended video. I just got back, and um, I thought rent was due the next day, and Deanna's like, when are you coming back? Like, what are you doing? You know, my pregnant wife. And I'm like, I'm coming back now. It was a crazy weekend. Kyle sees JP. We did this video with Lewis Howes. I saw, yeah, Lewis Howes was there. It was crazy, crazy. And I'm like, I don't And what about the money? I don't know. I don't know, but it's like something's happening. I don't know, but something's happening. I'm coming home. And Raj, that guy Raj is coming over right around sunset. He wants to have a meeting, too. And she's like, wow, you know, we're both, she sees like, she's just terrified really in a way, but also in faith because she trusted me probably because faith works. And the way faith worked this time was I walk in the door right before you get there and you walked in pretty, like within 10 minutes, I think you said you want to start paying for everything. And I was like, and I, at first I was like so shaken, like that, so shaken, so shaken that I was like, I got to make sure this is legit. So I like just got right to the logistics. I'm like, well, the rent's due tomorrow, I, and I don't know how I'm going to pay it. And then you're like, well, let me write a check. <laughs> and rent was due to that day, first of all. I didn't, I was just so mixed up in my faith, that walking my faith, that I think I lost sight a little bit, and rent was actually due that day that you wrote the check. Yeah, I um, what what this is just bringing up for me is like the ebbs and flows of life, but also just that everything seems to be connected. Everything seems to be trustable. It's. I haven't had any of those experiences like that where I did exactly that to anybody else since then. I've I've been supportive of many people in other ways. But I haven't done that same thing. And it's an interesting, you know, it it brings up right now, it reflects it has me reflect on what guides me and what I'm guided by and what I'm, what drives me. And I'm really driven by, almost like by my desire on what I want to do. And a lot of times what I want to do, there's either a societal rule against it or a taboo around it, or that's not normal, or that's not how you're supposed to offer somebody an investment because they might not pay you back, that, 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 there, whatever, all these different 
um, you know, yeah, rules that I, I still do what I want to do. And I think what I do oftentimes is I go, I want to do that. And what are the consequences of that, of potential consequences of that? And could I live with those consequences? And if so, then I want to do it. It's not that, oh, well, it's illegal. Well, driving 73 miles an hour is technically illegal on a 65 mile per hour freeway. But somehow driving 73, I have no problem. The moment I get into 77, 78, I start, my, my body starts speaking to me like, ooh, this doesn't feel good. So there's this interesting, like, I do what feels good. I, I let that inspiration guide me. And then that time, my inspiration was there to do that. And I didn't know that you just had a prayer or about it of calling in support or that you were just telling somebody about that or there was some synchronistic action happening before that. So in some ways, I just surrendered to the flow of my desire of what I wanted to do, what was moving through me. And I did that. And that's what I've been doing since then. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's just, I'm so mystified by it because, uh, and I, I, I'd love to hear from other people if you have an experience that relates to this. And I think a lot of times it is around money for people. It seems like people that don't make money first get paid back in weird ways sometimes like in mystical ways where they're doing something regardless of the outward symbols because they're being driven within and then some sort of miracles so they've got a miracle maven as my friend Hal Elrod would say and uh, you are that to me a miracle and that was extra miraculous and it still is extra miraculous to how that showed up but that day well that day see what you get yeah whatever the money is like you're saying that's yeah that we can calculate that if we want but there's a there's a value beyond any price and for me the reward re, 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 uh receiving the rewards and the riches and the fruits of my faith in such a way that made me laugh like wait till the wait till the, i can't believe i was like what is this what is this and it was almost important for me to forget about the deadline it was no longer even about the results it was like i'm sticking with it i made it happen i'm sticking with it and what are the consequences of you not paying your rent maybe you would have been again there's no such thing i don't really buy into the story of what could have happened if that didn't happen because it happened and that's the only reality that i know but i can't even pretend that okay let's just say that i did come there that day which again this makes no sense to me because i did but and then you ended up in that place for another day and your rent was delayed. You know, who's to say that that wouldn't have opened up some other thing, some miraculous thing? I, I don't have no idea. We have no idea. But I just know that when moments like that happen where there's such an alignment, it just has you quite like, I wonder, like, is it all, you know, it's all written or is it just that we're just pawns, you know, playing out the, the play of life and we get to do that and that's why it's all about our attitude or how we approach everything because everything's going to happen exactly the way it's going to happen anyway so might as well enjoy it and be grateful for all of it it's all a gift
Yeah, yeah. I, and on that level, like uh, maybe this is getting into the quantum world of it. I believe, and I think I'm gonna. I want to make this personal to the people that are listening and to hear you speak about it. But I think I've been a lot better than staying in that space than a lot of my peers. And so I think I've inspired people to stay in that space of like, this is what my heart wants to do. Like, I, I know I'm crying. I don't, people think I'm crazy. Like I did some sh- crazy stuff to get here, but this is why I'm here and I'm going to stay here in this space of the miraculous, maybe more than the logical or the practical side. And, um, how do you like it's I think you do that too in your way in your way so do you have how can we encourage other people if if I am better than other people at doing that or if I have been better how can we get other people to be that good at holding that that calm in the chaotic space of waiting for or of waiting in the miracle that they're in <laughs> rather than like running to the safe practical insured side yeah I the first thing that comes to mind is stories, learning about people and how they have done things and what their stories of miracles are. I think us sharing stories of our miraculous stories that happen that maybe other people might not understand might actually be the very medicine that they need to hear. And... You know, when you were talking about staying in this space of, you know, miracles, um, I think it's staying in the space of mystery. You know, if you look at um, history, right, a lot of times is your, your, you know, practical decisions oftentimes are based on the knowledge we have of the past, of before this moment, that has you say that based on what we know of the previous to now, which obviously this is a new moment and life has changed as we know it in this moment, but based on what we know so far that has worked before this moment, here's the practical recommendation. Okay. And a lot of times that's what we do throughout our life is do practical things. But when you go into that space of mystery, which is a lot of times serendipity, right place, right time. Oh my God, I was thinking about that person and then they called me. Wow, I had that thought and I just sent that person the right message right before they were about to get on the freeway to leave town. Oh my God, it perfect. I walked out of the room because I felt uncomfortable and oh my God, at that one time, my friend was there. So I listened to my body and I did that. I listened to this moment, my heart, my gut, and I did that. So being in that space of mystery, correlates with trust. Trust that everything that's happening right now is perfect. Everything happening happened to you, happening now, and that will happen is perfect. It's trustable. So when you have that high level of trust and you're in that mystery, the stories of hearing about other people, what has happened to them, just like right now, this story that we have not shared together on podcasts or any other way, this actually story is going to strengthen the intention of us sharing the story is enjoyable for us and we get to also relive that experience and integrate that that's absolutely our selfish reasons for doing this podcast but the selfless aligned reasons for doing this podcast is that us sharing our story of miracles like others have shared their stories of miracles before us will inspire you 
will inspire you to step into greater levels of trust, greater levels of mystery, and allowing the present moment to dictate. Trusting the present moment is the entire past coming together and all of the greatest, everything from the past, all leading up to this moment and in this moment knowing what to do because you have all of the past already perfectly there to guide you with your intelligence of where to go from here. And when I, when you were telling me about your stories of, of um, mysteries or mir- miraculous stories that have happened to you and that you're still in this space and you look healthy as can be and your family's doing great, so clearly it's working for you. I was thinking about a friend, Joy, Joy White Peacock, and how she lives constantly listening to what she calls upstairs management. Okay. And she's like, oh, I don't, she's like, she had like a brain injury several years ago from an accident. So she's like, I'm not even able to remember shit from like what happened recently and what's going on. I can't plan things that much. So I'm literally in the present moment listening to the guidance of upstairs management. And when I hear Joy, still, I'm like, what the F is she talking about? Like, really? And even me being the king magician you call me is like WTF, Joy. And yet, Joy somehow, now I see her on Facebook here and there and this house and that person. I'm like, something's working for her. And she got a house house sitting at somebody's place for the month. Invited over here to do this. Do-da-da, da-da-da. I'm like, okay. Because she's in that space, but she also shares that she's in that space. It's almost like she's telling the people around her, would you like upstairs management to work through you to help me? It's like her being open about who she is. That vulnerability also allows her community around her to support her. So she's very vocal about what she's up to, where she's at. So is it just mystery? Sure. Is it trust? Sure. Is it vulnerability? I'm sure that amplifies the ability for those channels of miraculous magic to flow through you. Yeah, oh man, I'm thinking about the linguology of the the words now, like his story. Do I want to follow his story? Or miss. Or or miss or my story. My story mystery. Ooh. And it's, uh, yeah, do we want to create our own stories or are we relying on someone else's? This is why this concept of your projection is not my placebo is like a big part of the breaking normal lenses for me to be very careful about uh, deciding, choosing what stories are mine versus his. And mine are definitely a lot of times cultivated and when they're, and especially when they're cultivated in the mystery is when it seems like the miracles are more obvious than ever. And yes, I, I hear you that I trust this is going to inspire me and everyone listening to be more attuned to the um, and aware of the miracles that are here right now. They're happening. Here we are. I do want to do a little shout out for my sister who um, she she had, you know, she, she's pushed about, you know, the rising of the feminine and and um, not to say that this is about pendulum swinging from one direction from his to her but there is something about how she said are you listening to his story or do you want to listen to miss story you know from you want to listen to the masculine perspective of the past doing it safe or listen to the feminine who's essentially dancing with 
life in this moment, allowing the dance to move through her or through it. And I'm not here to knock his or her or lift her, but just to see how masculine and feminine also could be playing into history and mystery. And um, there's no right or wrong here, but just exploring these concepts and looking at it and seeing what comes up, what arises when I even bring up masculine and feminine, you know? <laughs> well, on the uh, another ethos of Breaking Normal, what's most personal is most universal. And you mentioned the vulnerability amplifying the volume of this mystery, miraculous interactions that are here now. Um, I was thinking about myself and how, and you, and I was wondering what would come up. But I was thinking, here I am. I don't even know where we're, we're checking out of our place and tell you right tomorrow. Is that correct? And now I have all of my stuff with my family and the dog. And I don't know where we're going. Exactly. I know our next Airbnb is on the 9th in Idaho Springs. And we're looking at another one to share with Timrold. Um, and that's and we're looking at a retreat center in New Mexico. And I don't know. This is one of the, I'm, I'm admitting. I don't know exactly this relates to this the bee idea that bees they go for the nectar they're going for the nectar but in the meantime they're pollinating the whole world so i am i'm on i know my nectar and i'm not exactly sure what the pollen is but that's where i'm at in this space and I, and i'm and i think it's so cool the atmosphere i'm in right now is such a launching this is such an important part of the shaking the crystal ball and now letting it settle to get more clarity with you, with Tom, like Tom Shadyak being here with wherever we're about to go next. We are in a miraculous space right now. So I'm paying attention. I was just going to say paying attention. And, and I, I see your eyes are widened with curiosity of what's to come. I see that your state is actually more yeah, open, curious to the signs that might show up, whether we go out into town and reconnect with some of the people and see where they're going next and what's happening. And we've also heard certain groups calling in support for various challenges and obstacles that they're facing that maybe they're calling in, you know, Daniel Eisenman and the Breaking Normal team to come in and, and, and help for that time period. Who knows? The possibilities are there. But it's interesting that just like you have that coming up. Like for me, I don't have that. I have a flight leaving town tomorrow. So I don't have that same activated curiosity of where am I going to be tomorrow like you do. I have different curiosity right now. So attention and energy, or they say energy flows where attention and, um, and focus goes, right? So your focus and your energy right now is on the curiosity of what's to come for you and your family and your energy is going to go in that direction. And my curiosity is different. My curiosity is, you know, getting back to some of the people that I want to get back to while I've been here in Telluride and responding to them and connecting, the, giving them updates on where my plans are over the next week. So we have different focuses and different energy. But again, just to show how what we're thinking of, where our focus is going towards is a lot of times like when we think about the dreams that we have, right? The dreams, the visions that we are thinking of for our life, for our family, for the world, allowing ourselves to visualize those, to think about them, to dream up about them without fear of disappointment, without fear of how am I going to get there, but with just allowing 
that dreaming and that energy to think about it as when I'm focusing on those good thoughts, when I'm focusing on those inspiring visions, when I'm thinking about a world where all the people in the world, the resources are getting right to them and everybody's thriving and living heaven on earth. When I'm thinking about that, I am sending my energy and my, my focus is going towards that vision coming into fruition. And that's what I see as part of this mystery is where's our heads at? Where's our minds at? Where's our heart at? Where's our field really at? And uh, <laughs> where are we at? <laughs> 55 minutes. Oh my God. <laughs> So let's talk about that. Where is your vision and mission and heart and head at? So from, I take, first of all, what you're sharing, what you're asking me is a huge deal for me. So thank you for the opportunity. Um, So what I've seen in all the different, where my, so my energy and my focus for some time has been on money, on finances, especially because I ended up making a lot of money with my business and that a lot is relative, but a lot to me, meaning more money than I wanted to spend and on anything I wanted, pretty much. So I was like, okay, I have a lot of money, great. And I think about money a lot and I go, well, I'll, there's a lot of people I know that don't have the same luxury, that you know, I'm getting massages and I'm doing all these different things that I'm paying for, but other people want that too, but they're not getting it. And I'm like, but I know people that have great hands and healing hands and they want to offer their massage but and I know other people that need a massage but sometimes people just don't know that that connection's there like some people I know that love giving massages that don't like charging for it or they love to like help people freestyle rap you know and they don't want to charge for that service or write poetry or whatever you know so I I would always look at, wow, I'm getting all these things in my life that I'm thriving from all these luxuries, if you call it, you know, and other people in the world are not. And I felt that was unfair at some point. So the unfairness of the world has really, um, uh, I don't really believe in fair and unfair, but but there is a part of me that does. So let me go with that part. I'm multidimensional, apparently. So that part of me that feels that it's unfair that people are on this world and come to this planet and don't know how to access certain things that I knew how to access because I was raised in this family and I had business in my blood and all these things, but some people, they don't have that. So what has driven me is to look at and studying the current financial economy, the current systems of how people get their needs met and really looking at what are the alternatives. What are other ways that people can get their needs met for survival or for thrival beyond the current financial economy? And 
what happens if people's needs were met more effectively without having to have so much pressure for them to make money, as much money as they are now, then what would they do with their time? Would they take the same jobs that they're taking today? Would they work for things that go against their values if their needs were met so effectively in other ways and other means? And so I look at like, would people work at, would people work at Shell Oil? Like the person who's like the environmentalist at heart, the yoga hippie, but somehow they're like, shit, you know, I, I am also a data analyst and Shell had their job for me. So I work there and I help basically, you know, them sell uh, billions of more barrels of oil um, and contribute to the environmental negativity, let's say, for example, right? But I got to do this for my job. I wonder if that person had their needs met in an alternative currency, an alternative platform, an alternative means, would they still work at Shell Oil making 120 grand a year or 80 grand a year or whatever it is? Or would they be like, actually, I can go work for 40 grand a year somewhere else. So I'm going to work at the ski resort nearby as a manager there, or I'm going to do something else, or I'm going to work on getting some coaching clients because all I need is four grand a month as an example. So what that always dro drove me, and then I look at government, and I look at corruption, and I look at ill-incentivized choices that are being made that are for somebody's benefit at the expense of the collective. And I look at that, and I go, God, would that person who's doing that choice, that decision to make something illegal because it helps so many people, but it hurts the pharmaceutical company's bottom line, would that person still do that anymore if they didn't need the money that they need the way they needed it to make their needs, you know, to live their life? So all of these things, when I look at the challenges of all of the world, I look at the choices that are being made that seem to be going against the sustainability of our human race, the sustainability of, and of the collective thriving. I look at financial, finance, the economy is at the core of all of it. And um, I do want to give a shout out to Charles Eisenstein, um, Sacred Economics, the YouTube video, I believe he talks about how when you look at everything, you know, economics are at the core of it, the root of it. So what I've been really uh, dedicating my energy and my focus is what are alternative ways for people to get those needs met? And what I've landed on is the gift economy. And the gift economy is it's, I guess it's a concept. It's not really, a, there's no ticker out there that's counting how many, what the gift economy is. It's not like a GDP where we know the United States GDP is $21 trillion. We don't know the gift economy per se of gifts, but essentially the gift economy is any transactions that are contributing to this economy that are given from inspiration, from the heart, without a string attached to it for I'm going to give you this if you give me that. So, some people say, oh, you mean like bartering? I'm like, not exactly. Bartering is still, it's just an alternative currency. I'm going to, instead of giving you, you know, this, uh, uh, <laughs> this eighth of weed, I'm going to throw that in there for, and you give me 50 bucks, I'll give you an eighth of weed and you give me, you know, you give me a different strain back. That's a, that's bartering. Or, you know what, you give me a massage and I'll give you that and an hour massage or 30, half an hour massage. That's an, that's an exchange. It's just a different type of currency instead of the dollar bill we're using services and goods. The gift economy is, wow, Daniel, I'm freaking inspired by you. 
you know, hey, JP Sears, I'm freaking inspired by you and what you're doing. Your videos are hilarious. And like, I would love, man, to spend 20 minutes like just giving you a little overview of your marketing, your perspective, just to share with you because I love giving this. And I also love being associated with you. Honestly, I love getting your gratitude. I love knowing that I helped you in some way because it helps me to learn from that. But also, um, I just feel like when I see your funny videos out there that I know that, oh my God, yeah, I helped him get his messages out there to even more. Or when I see your five-star reviews on your book, I'm like, wow, I helped Daniel get this book out there so that people could benefit from this book. Which by the way, that was one of the reasons I believe I came into your house and did that, I believe. Um, or after I came into your house, I read your book after and I go, oh my God, this is who I helped. I didn't even know what's inside of his book until after I helped him. And your book affirmed me giving all that support to you because that book, I was so inspired by it. So the point is me giving something without requiring an exchange that comes from the gift economy. And my purpose or the passion that I'm here to do is to steward an aspect of bringing the gift economy onto the planet on a scaled level and using technology, literally an app, to stimulate, to catalyze people giving gifts that are from their inspiration, from their heart, the type of gifts that allow themselves to feel fulfilled when they offer that gift and offer it to somebody that when they receive that gift, they will appreciate it. Maybe they wouldn't have bought that gift that same month from somewhere else, but it's something of use to them. And that is what I'm here to do is to stimulate that through apps, through technology, and through to expand that in all of the ways that transactions within the gift economy can grow and expand and reduce the pressure on the existing financial economy, reduce the pressure for people to make as much money as they are so that we actually enter into a new paradigm of inspiration and of creativity driving us rather than survival and the bills driving us. Yeah, I'm happy I asked. I feel like the way I explained it, there was I was running around a lot and I'm very in, in infancy stages of getting it articulated for the public, but I feel I feel good that if you kept up with what I shared, I I got it across. Yeah, what I what I got from that, I was I was considering, I was playing with a thought of giving something in exchange limits the reward of that gift. Whereas giving with for nothing, giving for no thing gets, you can get the whole world, you can get whatever, you never know. Like it just opens up the whole world of reciprocity rather than limiting it to a dollar amount or one massage or an eighth of weed. I'll tell you the restaurant we went to today, if they didn't charge me the, the 20 bucks for the, or whatever, 15 bucks for the sandwich the toast avocado toast and the coffee and they just said here it is for you raj but at the end of the day just give us whatever you felt this was worth to you let's just as an example right i mean i'm feeling so good from that avocado toast from ghost town um dude i'm feeling so good from that and their coffee their butter coffee that they have right i mean we got biohackers on this breaking normal they got butter coffee at ghost town and tell you right right so another shout out i'm a freaking marketer at heart apparently right so anyways um, a, a heart oh yeah there you go okay we'll come up with a better one right so 
I'll go there at the end of the day and be like, here's a hundred dollars. This is amazing. And that's nothing compared to what this is worth to me. But they got $15 from me because they charged me. They wanted the exchange. And I'm not saying that another person would do the same thing like me. They might give at the end of the day, three bucks and they go, here you go. But there are plenty of people that would do that. And so the question is, are we, we are limiting some of the relationships when we're giving one-to-one exchange. I mean, we wouldn't want the heart our heartbeat to say, hey, I'm going to give you some blood, you know, lungs, but you better give me that blood back. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to keep flowing this blood to the other part of the body and the other part of the body. And eventually it's going to come back to the heart to repump again. But if the heart, if our own body, which we have a hundred million cells and a hundred million atoms within each cell. So I think that's a hundred trillion. I'm not sure if that's the math atoms in our body. So how did these all come together? The cells are literally flowing it throughout the body. They're not necessarily creating one-to-one exchanges with each other. That would be ridiculous. Then there would never be a a true flow going everywhere. It would slow it down tremendously. So Thinking of ourself as one, one thing, a bunch of individual components of the collective one. And that's why this whole concept of how do you build a wall between you and somebody else? How do you build a wall when literally animals are flowing back and forth between these lands? There's transactions. I mean, how do you actually, you know, that's all that, all of that stuff comes into this, plays into the gift economy for me. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you for being a maybe king magician of the miraculous gift economy. That sounds like a, a spicy title for this transmission. What are we? Where are we at? Right, man. We got more adventures on the radar. Um, anything that you want to address before we uh, move on to the next miracle? Yeah, I, I will take I will take credit for being a passionate steward of bringing the gift economy into the world. And I will not take credit for being the only passionate steward doing that. Burning Man, the entire community of Burning Man is literally practicing this all the time, every year. The people that come from it are. And I say this in that I am not going to sit here and say I'm the one doing this because it's going to require a bunch of people to come together to do it. And I am very passionate about putting and dedicating my life to this mission. And so if anyone's out there listening that's like, super interested in this and wants to contribute to this in some way or ideate around it or whatever, um, you can, you can, you know, I think gifteconomy.com, you can go there. There's a, there's a contact form up there. You can reach out and say what's up and, and see, but, um, yeah, just, and I'm just really grateful for the invitation to be on this podcast, brother, so much. Like, thank you truly like for encouraging and reminding me and also not giving me shit for not doing it a month or two ago when I first said I was going to do it and just smilingly encouraging me to do this today continuously. Thank you. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yep. 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 Man, there's so much to say. Oh, I did want, you reminded me of Karma Kitchen. Have you been there? Like this Karma Kitchen concept, they have one in Berkeley at the Himalayas restaurant. I'll do a shout out too. And it's a, every week you just come and eat and just pay whatever you want to pay. And it's been going on for years and it's one of the best meals I've had. And, and that's just a side testimony. I'm a living testimony an affirmation of the you stewarding the gift economy because it has meant so much to my life, especially in the scenarios of mystery and miracles. 
You know what? If there's something that you can all do right now to support this mission and create and turn the ripples of positivity into waves for this planet, then when listening to this podcast right now, to think of a gift that you know that you love to give to people, that you have an abundance of, that you don't want to charge for it, you would feel fulfilled by, and think of the first person that comes in your mind that you want to gift this to. Okay? Think of the first person that comes to mind and send them a message and say, hey, you know what? I was inspired by this podcast. I want to send, I want to offer this gift to you. And uh, part of me contributing my part to the growing GGP, global, whatever, you know, global product of the gift economy. This is my way to contribute to the meta gift economy by giving this to you. Mm. And on that note, I'll also challenge, I love that challenge. Thank you for that. I'll challenge y'all, if you have felt gifted from this transmission, to gift it out yourself. It's easy as a share on an Instagram story or by leaving a review or rating it, paying reverence to the gods of the internet known as algorithms. And uh, yeah, let's keep the gift let's keep the gifting going let's keep let's get this concept go viral right let's share this podcast thank you <laughs> thank you um yeah let's keep breaking normal y'all peace in thank peace. you raj oh and i'll also gift a uh, a chapter of the book at the very end make it really easy for the producer one of the chapters from the audio and if you like it go get you some more at audible it's my favorite way of sharing it because it was more even spoken into existence than written peace this boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. I agree to love beyond agreement. Chapter 2. Agreements. We start the retreats with a set of agreements intended to establish trust within the group, laying the framework for everything that follows. Keep in mind that these aren't mandatory. No one has to agree to any or all of them and the only thing that will happen if they don't is that they might be asked to sit out of some exercises for reasons that I trust will become clear. With that said, I believe the best way to ensure having the fullest retreat experience possible is to take these agreements to heart, at least for the weekend, and do one's best to honor them and to be open to talking about it either way. The first agreement is to tell the truth. What this means for me is honoring myself enough to share the things I think and feel with other people. Not only answering questions as honestly as possible, but also, and perhaps more importantly, expressing the things that, when they come up in me, are combined with sensations like an elevated heartbeat, flushed cheeks, jittery limbs, etc. Those types of symptoms, which I interpret as feelings of aliveness, are for me a clue that the thing I may not want to share is the very thing from which I have a lot to gain by sharing. I've heard it said that a person is only as sick as his or her secret, and to me that means the things I hold in out of fear might actually have a hold over me, and the way to liberate myself from the hold is to share those things, to let go and release into peace. There's a guy named Brad Blanton, pioneering psychotherapist and the author among other books of Radical Honesty. During his career of treating patients, he came to see that lying was the single greatest cause of stress and unhappiness in their lives. 
By lying, he means specifically withholding. That is, not saying certain things to oneself or other people out of fear as to how they will react. This idea has been a major influence on me. What's interesting is that people can be afraid of a reaction that hasn't even taken place yet. A reaction they don't really know for sure will happen. So it's not even that the actual reaction they're afraid of, but rather their own imagination of how someone else will react. I believe that if someone chooses to act on that fear, he or she is potentially practicing being in fear instead of being led by faith. Consider this for a moment. They're worshiping their own imagination rather than the reality of the other person. They're denying the other person's integrity by assuming they know how he or she will respond to what they have to say. In a deep sense, they're presuming to exercise some sort of control over another person. A common rebuttal I hear at this point is, Daniel, I can't be honest in my daily life because of the people I live with. My mom or dad or girlfriend or grandma aren't willing to go there with me. When I hear that, what I really hear is, Daniel, I can't be honest in my daily life because I can't handle myself when people react to my truth. Which is not the same thing. The reason I have people in my life who are willing to go there with me is because I am willing to go there first. Or as my brother puts it, it takes two people to have a shallow conversation. Here's what this agreement is not. A permission slip to go out and say all the negative things that you might think about someone else. You're fat, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're gross. That's not telling the truth. That's projecting your own insecurities onto someone else and saying that it's theirs. Here's what this agreement is. A container or a context that we as a tribe or family or group of friends are willing to enter into so that we can live inside out and speak about the things as they come up. An invitation to share what you might not want to share and to allow yourself to be seen for who you are in any given moment in your rawness rather than with the normal mask or script you might have been accustomed to in the past. The second agreement is to hear the truth. If we're going to tell the truth and we want people to listen, we probably ought to be willing to do the same thing in return. Implicit in the golden rule, treat others the way we ourselves want to be treated, is the idea that in order to receive something, we get to be willing to give it too. So if we want others to hear our truth, we must be willing to hear theirs. Remember that hearing another person's truth doesn't necessarily mean owning that truth or taking it on as yours. It means listening, holding the space for that person to communicate, and being open to them being open in your presence. Speaking of presence, the third agreement is to be present. Most of our worries don't come from things that exist in the present moment. Rather, they come from things that we remember in the past or things we anticipate will happen in the future. Whatever the situation, presence for me is about letting go of my attachment to specific outcomes. It means focusing on the other person while they're talking instead of thinking about or planning what I'm going to say, why I'm going to say it, and what I hope will happen by saying it. I focus on their words while at the same time keeping an eye on the rear view mirror of my mind, so to speak, noticing the sensations that arise in my body in response to those words. Perhaps even more important, I can start to hear what is not being said, which is sometimes evident by the speaker's mannerisms, inflection, posture, and facial expressions.
If I do get distracted by my own thoughts to the degree that I feel I'm not hearing the other person accurately, I might say, hey, wait a second, I got lost there and want to catch up. It's less of an interruption than one might think, and more often than not, the person I'm talking to is grateful that I want to be sure I understand them. Sometimes if the person repeats what they said in order to catch me up, they realize the thing they originally said was not the thing they meant to say, or that it meant something different. A good rule of thumb, listen to another person as if you had to teach someone else what they said immediately after. If this idea makes conversations seem endless, I might be tempted to ask, what's the hurry? We're at a retreat and maybe the other stuff can wait because it will still be there when you go home. I can't guarantee it will be there. And that's the point, to experiment with the notion that everything can wait. And if it can't or won't, to be okay with it. The fourth agreement is to refrain from violence and threatening language. As you may expect, Sometimes emotions come up in these retreats that might not have been dealt with for a while. And when they do, it sometimes feels like a volcano or a geyser or a dam breaking. It's important for everyone to remember in those moments that these are signs of the emotional processing that's taking place and to allow that process to flow without deflecting it or throwing it off onto someone else with violence or threatening language. Where violence begins, connection ends. This includes obviously physical aggression and unwanted contact, but also spitting and unwanted sexual attention, using threats, and speaking over others. Furthermore, these are all examples of being used by one's emotion rather than the other way around. This agreement ensures that the space we are entering is co-created rather than hijacked or taken by force. The fifth agreement is to ask for what you want and don't be attached to getting it. How many times do you want something and not say anything about it? Maybe it's a french fry or a beverage or it's something you want to do, a place you want to go, an idea you'd like other people to consider or a question you want to ask. Whatever the desire, this is a space to practice the art of honoring yourself, your heart, your soul, enough to raise your hand and ask for it. Or don't raise your hand, depending on the context. Maybe you're asking someone between activities that they'd like to go for a walk with you, in which case I probably wouldn't raise my hand. But then again? The reason for this agreement is because not asking for something we desire, whether it's out of shyness or shame or fear of the reaction, is a great way to not honor ourselves and to shut ourselves down which may lead to resentment towards oneself and others. Also, think of the burden that is unwittingly placed on whoever might be around us. It's like we expect them to pick up on what we want through ESP and then blaming them in secret when they don't. Asking for what one wants is an extension of telling the truth. Not being attached to getting it, on the other hand, is about acknowledging that other people are not in this world to do as we please simply because we please. They are in this world to do as they please, according to their truth and their desires. Personally, I wouldn't want another person to give me something because they were obliged to, or because they felt like they should, or because they were trying to manipulate me into giving something back. I would much rather they give me what they want to give me simply because they want to give it. A note here about giving. 
my friend and author Brandon Hawk says that when we give beyond our capacity, we make the receiver a thief. By the same token, when others give to us beyond their capacity, they might start to view us as thieves. The sixth agreement is to let go of saying you're sorry. I think there's a tendency in some parts of our culture to be overly apologetic, to say we're sorry so often that it's almost like a conditioned response. Two people reach the water fountain at the same time. One or both apologizes. A woman comes out of the bathroom after relieving herself and sees someone else waiting to enter. She apologizes and slinks away. Someone stretches out and accidentally bumps someone sitting nearby. Sorry. What are they really sorry for? An outside observer, after hearing people say it so many times for so many things, might logically conclude that those people were sorry for everything, even their own existence. To take it even further, perhaps into conspiracy theory, I sometimes wonder if people are conditioned to say they're sorry because those in power know that language is powerful and that the word becomes flesh. The more they can get other people to say they're sorry, the sorrier those people may become and the easier they are to control. Like all the other agreements, this one isn't permanent and binding for all time. This is a temporary agreement for a time we're going to play around with not saying we're sorry. Or if and when we catch ourselves saying sorry or on the verge of saying sorry, we agree to explore that feeling out loud with the other person. Side note about pooping. Seriously, humans have got to be the only animal in the world that apologizes for pooping, a normal function of a healthy body that literally and perhaps metaphorically keeps it from being full of it. The word sorry, in my opinion, can keep some people spiritually, emotionally, and psychologically constipated. To me, it's every bit related to physical constipation and might be one of the biggest health challenges people have faced. The seventh agreement is to stay with conversations until those involved have reached a state of completion. Again, things are going to come up over the course of this retreat, and when they do, we're going to talk about them, and that talk might catalyze other things coming up and other participants joining, and that's why we agree to stick with those conversations beforehand to keep us encouraged to have them. One of the worst ways to have a conversation is to not have it or to be on the verge of something and have it cut abruptly short by someone else. This agreement is about letting go of the four normal stress responses, flight, fight, freeze, and facade, which I believe are also the four biggest ways people used to sabotage themselves and stepping into a new response, which I like to call fun, comfortable. This agreement, coupled with the idea of not giving beyond my own capacity, has inspired me a few times on retreats to say, hey, if anyone has something to bring up to me, I am okay with it until 10 p.m. After that, even if I stay up and don't go to bed, it might not be within my capacity to stick with a conversation to the end. So in that case, I would ask that you wait until tomorrow to bring it up. The eighth and final agreement is to expect nothing and experience everything. Or you could upgrade that to expect anything, experience everything, but the goal here is to experience. Not to go into situations wanting them to turn out a certain way, being so attached to that imagined outcome that we lose touch with what is actually happening. We're all going into this retreat 
this experience as students. We agree, therefore, to be open to the experience unfolding. It means not to go with the flow, but to glow and grow with the flow. Let go and let God.